The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters, and boy, what matters to me today? Well, I'm going to say what matters to me today is going to be the Combine. That's right, the Combine is the, probably for uh, those who uh, hope to one day become professional athletes, is what we call our career fair. <laughs> it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's probably the best uh, career fair for any athlete that ever existed. Uh, some other people, I guess they have their own version of a Combine. Uh, and although the uh, National Football League has been doing it, I believe, officially since 1982, uh, so I guess what I went to in 1981 was not considered an official combine, but uh, it, it scared the bejeebies out of me. Uh, I was there, and, uh, you know, be quite honest, I, you know, I forgot a lot of the combine, but I certainly remember the opportunity that I was one of you know, I don't know how many. Uh, I think I, I know myself, uh, Keith Ferguson. So about maybe five or six or seven of us made it uh, to the combine. Uh, but it is probably one of those things where it kind of makes me think about, you know, um, you know, what actually comes first. You know, is 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 it the, is it the chicken or the egg kind of thing? You know, because uh, for a student athlete, you know, you have so many things that is important to you in your life that you're concentrating on. Uh, but in particular. When you think about a student athlete and you think about his preparation for, you know, for sports and a career in sports, you know, which one of those is most important for him? Is it that he prepares himself and he's, you know, he's more prepared to, to do something um, in football or is he preparing himself that he's equally prepared or even prepared even more? to do something in corporate America. Which, which job comes first? Which one does he take first? Uh, all these things are just maybe something small that I think a lot of people take it for granted, particularly when you hear something like, and shout out to my man Malcolm Jenkins. I think I heard this morning from the big boy show, something like guaranteed $21 million. I mean, <laughs> I think it's hard for the average person out there to think about. I, I remember when back in the day when Herschel Walker was offered $1 million dollars and there was a question of if he should or if he should not take it and, and go play, you know, pro ball. And it's like one million dollars. Are you serious? I mean, it was a time when a millionaire really was a millionaire and your lifestyle changed completely and almost forever. If you were able to sustain some of that and, and maintain some of it. But nowadays, twenty one million dollars. 
And that's Malcolm. There's going to be many more who may get much more. But certainly what I, what I want to do is I, you know, and I'm not sure uh, this person is, is, going to, is going to join me. Uh, if I can say that he made that many, that many millions of dollars, <laughs> but he certainly uh, has enjoyed his, his life. Uh, he, uh, of course, was, and, and I say, of course, of course, for me, and, and probably uh, letting some of you know for the first time, but uh, my good friend and dear friend who's going to join me here, Kurt Dixon, was an outstanding baseball player at the Ohio State University. Uh, Kurt went on at Ohio State to uh, receive his both his uh, bachelor's and master's. Uh, he went on to work for um, certainly the National Football League. He also, I believe, had a stint at, at Reebok. Uh, he did some, um, you know, groundbreaking uh, activities uh, working with these companies, the National Football League and Reebok and, and others, where he was one of those pioneers who understood that, you know, athletes uh, need an opportunity to get a look at what corporate America looks like as well. So he created some internship programs back in the day. And just, just an outstanding uh, young man, well, my age, but we're still young men, still fighting hard, uh, really focused on supporting athletes in their transition. Uh, also just had a stint at Howard University, uh, doing some legacy work there with that university. Um, and uh, but without further ado, I think my friend, my man, my homeboy, Kirk Dixon, is on the line. Kirk, are you there? I'm here. How you doing, Ray? I'm doing wonderful, man. I listen. I tried to do the best I could there, you know, in terms of uh, introducing you. And and some people, you know, they don't need an introduction, and and you didn't need an introduction. But it's one of those things. Sometimes, uh, you know, when people have done things in life and they've achieved certain things, I believe it's you know, give them their just due, you know. And I wanted to do that for you. Uh, I certainly appreciate the fact that you're able to take time out of your busy schedule. And join me today, uh, Kirk. Again, I want to congratulate you on uh, your your presence and your involvement there at uh, the Player Networking event uh, in San Francisco, which was the fiftieth. And and I believe uh, Guy was celebrating his sixteenth, and that's Guy Troop of Troop Twenty One. And probably, if I'm not mistaken, I, I'm gonna, I would probably guess you've probably been involved in probably sixteen of those. Maybe you know. I have. I and, have. I was at. I, 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 I go back a little bit with Guy. Uh, you know, we, we I can remember some uh, meetings at Reebok in Boston uh, just talking about the concept. It was a vision that he had. Uh, they had a number of things that were going on at, 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 in the what is now NFL player engagement. Back then it was NFL player development. They had uh, five major areas to their wheel of NFL transition for players. The sixth was the rookie symposium. Uh, technically, I could add the seventh was a job description for the first player development directors. Of course, all 32 clubs now have a full-time position, at least one. Some have more. Uh, but Guy and I go back, you know, to talking about these things and thinking about these things when you were still, you know, playing. And uh, so the very first P&E yeah, was uh, San Diego. That's when Elway got his first ring against Green Bay. And it was a very humble crowd of probably 30 corporate folks and and uh, as many players. And Reebok was the first sponsor. So to see San Francisco, where Guy has come, where you're looking at over 50 businesses with booths, a radio show, an Internet show, uh, seminars on helping players brand themselves and thinking about various careers. And I think one of the things, Ray, and I'm uh, – uh, that, that that I've noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed in your time there, is, is that 
one of the things that has, has impressed me is how many people are repeat P&E uh, attendees or participants. Uh, once someone comes, uh, they, they, they find as much value. Uh, they either come back to attend or they come back at a higher level of involvement to participate. So this year in San Francisco was the biggest yet. Anybody has, who, who plans on being in Houston next year uh, for Super Bowl 51 and wants to spend a great five- or six-hour afternoon, business casual, but meeting with some folks, talking about some real opportunities and some possibilities post-football, I highly, I highly encourage it. Can't, can't encourage them enough to come. Uh, and, Kirk, it's interesting you said that there are a repeat attendees. And, and when I look in the audience, I, of course, uh, am one of those who is a, a repeat attendee, and I'm, I'm very much uh, involved now, uh, different than I was the first time that I went to a P&E, and that was probably about uh, eight years ago. But, but I, I'm curious as to somebody like yourself, as accomplished as you are, what keeps you coming back? Um, well, I think three things. One is I'm always interested in what guy's going to do to take it to the next level. You know, there's every year there's a new twist. Now, part of that's forced because it's a different. The Super Bowl rotates every year. Unlike your Hall of Fame weekend that's in Canton every year, the Super Bowl has a different host city every year. So, just by design, um, you have to you know exercise some flexibility while staying with some of your core networking principles and objectives of the event. Uh, but guy always finds a way to do something a little bit different based off of feedback. So I'm always interested in seeing what's new. I think the second thing is is that I'm always energized by the young people. You know, as I was listening to you do my introduction, which thank you very much. Uh, you're right, unnecessary, but but always appreciate it. But man, I feel old. You know, uh, 30 years ago, I, I finished graduate school at Ohio State. 30 years—that's unbelievable. But one of the things that keeps me coming back to the P&E is I'm around these young folks that are just beginning their careers. And it, even though it's been 30 years, I still remember when. And I remember that as an athlete transitioning, I was still in that high ego in the shape of my life, looked probably as good as I'm ever going to look, um, very, very, to some degree, cocky, confident. But it was all within the context of on the playing field. The minute I had to engage, who do I want to be when I grow up? What am I going to do for the rest of my life, et cetera? I get that deer in the headlights, glossy look over my eyes. And um, and I was, uh, frankly, afraid to reveal how much I didn't know about what that was. I always admired, respected, to some degree was jealous of guys who knew exactly what they thought they were going to do and wanted to do and went after it. But I was one of those guys that fell into that group. I had no idea, and I was going to have to figure it out and discover it. So um, the opportunity to be at the P&E, be around the young folks who have that energy and possibly give them some insights that I wish somebody would have gave me back then, man, I, that's priceless. And then I think, I think the last is, is just that, let's face it, the Super Bowl's exciting. I mean, I don't care what kind of year I'm having, whether it was a great year or a bad year, the mood at that particular time, you cannot go to the Super Bowl, whether you're going to the game or not, be around the activities, the evening activities, the Super Bowl city, et cetera, and not just feel alive, right? <laughs> you're right about that. There's no doubt, no doubt in my mind, because there are a lot of people there, obviously, who are not necessarily fans of the two teams that are playing, but it's the Super Bowl. Yeah. And like you said, there's so much electricity and so much energy amongst those people there. Uh, you said on one, you, you touched on one thing, Kirk, that I, I want to kind of, you know, backpedal if you can, if you will, and, 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 
let's address this point. You talked about the lack of confidence, and we've got about you know two minutes here. But the lack of confidence, your 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 confidence that you necessarily had on the baseball field uh, when when you were making things happen. I'm assuming uh, you don't automatically, or they people shouldn't automatically think that this athlete's going to exude that same type of confidence in the corporate America. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. You know, we don't think about it, but the confidence we have on the athletic field was, was, didn't happen in an instant. It was developed over time. I mean, with each level from junior high to high school to college to pro, uh, you know, it, it's amped up. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of athletes uh, are, have a lot of self-esteem issues and self-doubt. Their performance on the field, their work ethic in the gym and, 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 it, and at practice is what helps them overcome that, improve that. It's a physical manifestation of it. But I, but but that's becomes in an area that they become very skilled in and very comfortable in on the field or on the court. But when you start talking about life after, outside the classroom and in a job, something they've had very little exposure to, very little time for internships, um, it's only natural. It's only human to uh, be nervous and scared about that. But the irony for the athlete is, is on the one hand, you've got this extreme high level of confidence in this aura that you, you portray on the field in interviews, et cetera, and yet you have to, in a sense, hide that, uh, or you have to find a, a, a venue like the P&E or around other former athletes who get it and get you that you're comfortable letting your guard down and really sharing what's real and where you're at uh, so uh, so that you can get the help you need or the information you need. Well, I, I think that's always good for people to see people of which they are comfortable with uh, in an environment of which they're uncomfortable being in because certainly that gives you an opportunity to, to go and, and just as you did when, when you were an upperclassman and a freshman came into the baseball team, you, you reached out to him, let him know, hey, everything's going to be okay. You shake off a few of the cobwebs. You'll get used to this. And, and a year later, you know, he's one of the big boys that, you know, at the university, and now he's helping a younger guy. So that mentoring is always good, you know, to show up at the right time. And those mentors, in particular, uh, are always good to have around. So what we're going to do? We're going to take a break. You've been listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the 3 is very much the one to be. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins next week, I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
right, you hear the music, you know the show. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice American Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. What matters? The Combine. Combine, the greatest career fair ever invented by anybody, in particular for those who happen to be uh, aspiring to one day be a professional football player in the National Football League. So um, those of you out there who get a chance to attend, um, God bless you. It's such an honor. It's one of those things you can stick a feather in your cap and feel good about. And those of you don't, don't give up on yourself because that doesn't mean it's all over with. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on in the show. But I want to get back to my good friend, um, alumni brother, and uh, certainly a man who is as con- um, uh, the conviction that I show and that I have of, of helping my, my fellow uh Fraternity members that are much younger than I am, he, he shares the same passion, and, and that's Kirk Dixon from The Ohio State University, I might add to that as well. So, Kirk, well, you know, we were talking a little bit about the confidence, and it's interesting because, see, I'm getting this from a baseball player's perspective, and I, but I've all, I mean, listen, the first organized championship I ever won in my life was baseball, and, and it's so interesting because this is Black History Month, and by the way, this is my brother of another color from another mother on the other side of the line here, too. I want you to know that, uh, but, but the first championship I played for in organized sports, the team I played for was the, Lamp, the Lions, a, a baseball team, and, and of course, uh, it, the majority of people on the team were white. All the coaches, with the exception of uh, one of the players uh, who was black, and he, his father was a coach. Uh, they, they allowed his father to coach because his son was playing and was a damn good pitcher. Kevin Henderson, by the way, uh, was a pitcher on that team. And, and so Kevin, myself, and my brother, we integrated this team. And we ended up um, well, you know, winning the championship um, in that game, but uh, it was baseball where I got my confidence because Mr. Busby, I'll never forget. Now, we won the first championship uh, when I was 10 years old. That's the only one that we won. Uh, but the year prior to that, I was um, uh, nine years old, and and he had me on his baseball team. He let me play in the majors instead of the minors. Most ninth, nine-year-olds played on the minor leagues. He allowed me to be on the majors, so I went with them. We made it to the playoffs. We didn't win the championship. The next year, I was 10 years old. Um, and when I was 10 years old, he handed me the ball in the championship game and said, you're going to pitch, young man. Didn't tell me beforehand. And and he let me pitch the championship game. Uh, now, we were going to win that division anyway, but we viewed it as the championship game. He allowed me to pitch. He built my confidence uh, at, at that early age. But I want to go back because... This is in honor of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and, and Black History Month, and, and, and also my coach. Uh, again, he was a white man. I was a young black kid at eight years old. I wasn't on the team. I was a bad boy. But we, uh, on April 4th, we were traveling to uh, baseball practice and found out that Dr. King had gotten killed. And so I always think of the fact that, you know, when Dr. King was out there trying to make happen, uh, Mr. Busby uh, was one of those people out there who said, the hell with what color these uh, young men are on the team. And that time it was just my brother and the other guy because they were old enough. I was just a bad boy. He allowed my brother and Kevin Henderson to be on that team, integrated that team. Later, uh, a couple years later, when I'm 10 years old, I'm on that team. We win a championship. And so in honor of uh, Dr. King and all those other African-Americans and my white brothers out there from another mother and white sisters out there who all trying to make America and the world a better place, Happy Black History Month 
and uh, I just had to get that off my chest. So, Kirk, no, listen, no, man. I'm actually, actually, I'm glad you did, Ray, because it, it, it reminds me. I think you knew earlier in the week I was um, uh, in uh, New York uh, for some book interviews, I was, and I, I was also there for a, a baseball friend's funeral uh, prior a scout for the uh, Baltimore Orioles organization. And uh, was in Elmira, New York, and uh, which was the city that Ernie Davis, the first African American Heisman Trophy winner, was you know from. And so I stopped by the Ernie Davis Middle School and saw the plaque and um, and talked to some folks who were at the funeral, you know, who who actually knew Ernie. And what was interesting was is is that most fo- no one really focused on what an exceptional athlete he was they focused on what an exceptional man he was yes and i love that i mean you know and because 1950s i mean i'm sorry but it was it was just a, you know we still got issues today but it was a different world you know oh, yeah. so when people when 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 folks are naming a school after you they're putting a a life size statue up of you I mean, I can only imagine what that man, in addition to just going out and playing and suiting up and, and, and running yards and scoring touchdowns, he was held a baseball player too, um, but in addition to being excellent at his uh, chosen sports, um, off the field what he had to deal with, and despite that, took the high road. Um, and, um, and, I mean, I think in 1957 he was named a homecoming court king. Think of that. No, there's no doubt about it. Many times, uh, you know, I think about today, uh, and I know I went through things, you know, like I said, in in 68 when Dr. King got killed, I was, uh, you know, I was nine years old. And and so uh, I experienced a lot of things growing up. He he got killed in in 68. That was just in in probably in the thick of the uh, civil rights movement. But certainly uh, life has changed, but we are not finished yet. There's so much more we can and we must, and I'm sure we will do because, you know, we've got a chance to, to work together. Um, like I said, that great university there, the Ohio State University, you and I have uh, got a chance to, um, to attend. And interesting enough, uh, Kirk, when you and I were there, uh, it was just a couple years before we arrived on campus uh, that they had had the first ever black quarterback. And that, of course, was Cornelius Green. And then followed up with the Rod Gerald, uh, who if you would to close your eyes, you wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> you know, you would think this guy got an eight year scholarship. What the hell's going on here? But uh, uh, they both did uh, a, a great job at the Ohio State University. My, but le- my, my dorm room was right next to Rod Gerald's. Oh, yeah. And we want to give a shout out to Rod and hope he's feeling much better. I'm going to be in contact with him soon because uh, Rod has some very serious injuries, uh, particularly related to his back and his neck. And uh, there's been some people out there that have been doing a great job, uh, you know, really helping him out, a young lady in particular. I just can't remember her name right now, but she has just almost thrown her entire life and her family had to help support Rod. And we certainly appreciate the the things that she's been doing for Rod. So let let me just get back, if if you will, before we um, get off into that uh, very... uh, a necessary discussion about Black History Month. Uh, we were talking about the confidence or the lack of uh, confidence, and uh, it, it kind of leads me into um, 
a part of this conversation that we didn't have written down on paper, Kirk, but it's always mm-hmm. important for me because, it, it, you know, there, there's so much and so many things I want to talk to you about because there's mm-hmm. so much rich content based upon how your life has transpired that people uh, don't know about, even the stint that you just uh, had at Howard University. But I don't want to go there because that's a whole nother show. But what I do want to talk about is I want to talk about somebody who was an athlete who did transition. And, 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 and how did you do that? And what are we missing now that you can look back? Because a lot of times what happens is when you get a chance to walk in those shoes, then you understand what they're going through. That's why I think it's a need for those who've, who've been an athlete. I'm not going to just like coaching. You don't have to necessarily be a player to be a good coach, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Uh, I would also say the same thing about you know, somebody who is working with athletes uh, in transition, uh, you don't necessarily have to have been an athlete to necessarily understand or have a sense of empathy, whereas you can help these athletes. But it certainly doesn't hurt. You were an athlete, Kirk. How has that helped you to understand and to contribute to the athletes today that are trying to transition? Um, well, I, I, I think the benefit that I have now in my 50s is, is that even though it was to a large degree a distant memory, uh, you know, ago playing, you know, when you play enough years as you did, um, you, you just never forget that, you know, because you start so young and it really is your identity by the time you're 20, 21, getting ready to get out of school. And if you're fortunate enough to continue playing uh, into your 20s and 30s, it, it becomes even more indoctrinated. So I don't care if you're 50, 60, you never forget. So you got that athlete side. I always say we understand the locker room. Um, but the benefit of being, you know, 50 now after having 25, 30 years of uh, work experience um, is I understand that side too. And so I have the ability to kind of look back and kind of compare. Um, and, um, and then it also didn't hurt in my particular case that my, my, my education was primarily in human development and how people learn. So, um, you know, we had all the theories of, uh, you know, how to train people and educate folks at various ages and what's important to people at different times of their lives. So that didn't hurt to have that academic grounding. Um, but, but I would say that um, uh, the, there, there are so many on, with the Internet, there's so much information that is available on careers that, that we used to have to go to a library for that's available to folks. That they, my, One of my biggest uh, uh, suggestions for players is become, if you, if, even if you know what you want to do or you don't know what you want to do, look at getting a job outside of football or discovering what your next career is attack it the same way you did your sport, you know, or upcoming team. You know, you'd look at film, you'd look at, you know, the playbook, you'd listen to coach, you'd practice certain things, schemes, etc. Um, you have to become a student of the business. You have to become a student of career development, career changing. And there is so much information that is available uh, in a, what's called career assessments that have you understand yourself. What are your interests? There's a specific assessment quiz for that. And if you answer it honestly, it will simply replay back to you your interests and then what careers match that. That's an important piece of the puzzle, but it's only a piece. There's another one called the value sort exercise. And I took that and many times over the years just to see if I was changing or if I was the same. And again, what comes out are what type of careers are consistent with those values that you have. There's another one called the strong Campbell interest inventory and skill inventory. And it assesses your skills. I would read books. 
like bowls, what color is your parachute? And I would take his skill inventory. And I think I became a student of the business that way, and a big part of it was because of the athletic training, uh, you know, above the shoulders. You know, it was the, the, when we thought about there's the doing, of course, on the field and the executing, but, you know, the doing always follows the thinking and the mind. And, and uh, there was always an enormous amount of planning that had to be done. So the, the great news for athletes today is, is that there's not this giant sea of unknown to the degree they can put on their Sherlock Holmes hat and be a bit of a detective and an investigator. It really comes down to asking the right questions, uh, honest questions about themselves. What do I like? What don't I like? What do I want to be moving towards? What do I want to be moving from? And one of the biggest landmines that I have to encourage folks to do is try to shed those athlete dumb jock stereotypes. At this age, and having been working with athletes for 30 years, Ray, the, the only profession that I haven't seen an athlete and I'm talking college and pro, high level, is astronaut. And I can't wait to see a NASA astronaut. But Gerald Ford played at Michigan. You know, he was president, you know. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to jump in here, and I'm not sure, maybe not a man, but I think Mae Jemison was an athlete. It may, may, may it, it won't, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I think Mae Jemison has some athletic could, background. <laughs> but man, I'm telling you, you could take any profession, attorney, we have them, uh, CEOs, CIOs, Presidents, entrepreneurs, book authors, uh, dentists, medical doctors, VPs of insurance, VP of paper companies, um, uh, owners of shirt retailers, um, executives, of course, with the big sporting goods companies, the Reeboks, the Filas, the Adidas, the Under Armors. I mean, the, but, but and, and teachers in college, PhDs. I mean, a lot of folks don't think about this, but, but, but athletes do in time, the ones who stay in the game, the ones who deep down have that quiet voice that says, dang it, if I could do this, I know I can do that, um, the, then, um, and then take steps to move towards that and, and, and never give up no matter how long it takes. I mean, for some, the transition is quick. For others, it's a lifetime. Um, but I, I, I cannot encourage players enough that if they don't know what they want to do, make knowing the goal. And so absorb yourself, sponge up all the folks you can talk to about how they figured out what they wanted to do, and keep a journal and take notes. Take the, all the free online assessments you can take. Visit your former college career center um, or a local, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of not-for-profits as well, but uh, folks have the financial means. You can hire a career executive coach. And there are so many tools available. There's so much information available that's so convenient, so cheap, that uh, figuring it out is, is easier today. Now, the, the, the human being motivation to do so and getting over the self-doubt, the self-confidence, etc., that I'm more than an athlete and I can be more, et cetera, so that it, it, it generates the energy and the motion to learn these things and research these things. That's a whole, you know, a whole other conversation. But I can just tell you that I've worked with some pretty extraordinary athletes over the years, and, and, and most of them, when they get their first job offer or business investment outside the game, they weep on the phone. And the reason they weep is, is that for them, and this isn't for everybody, I don't want to overgeneralize, but for those who do, they say that I just needed one person, just one to believe I was more than a football player. Okay, Kirk, I'm going to cut you off right there, and because uh, we have to take a break, but also yeah. because from what I've heard from you, I, I think you're uh, 
pulling back a page or certainly opening up the book to your book. And, and that's what I want you to talk a little bit about on the other side of the break, because that's some great information you just shared. And I'm not sure if it all came from the book, but I know there is a book. We're going to take a break and then we'll come back. My good friend Kirk Dixon's on the line with me. You'll listen to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. And we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the 3 is very much the one to beat. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to Win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins, next week I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. Sports and medicine go hand in hand. Quite simply, if you aren't up to your game health-wise, you won't be up to your game on the field. That's where Bruce the Sports Doc comes in. Dr. Bruce Grossinger uses his medical training and experience to bring you a link between sports and medicine. From the latest advances and treatments to discussion behind the injuries of the week, Bruce the Sports Doc and his team of guest experts are here each week to lay it on the line in terms that you can understand. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters. Have my good friend and fellow Buckeye alum, the Ohio State University's Kirk Dixon. Uh, Kirk has, uh, of course, been on the show with me uh, today. Appreciate the fact that he's on the show with me. Uh, we start off the show letting you know what matters to me, and it's the combine. Uh, the combine, in my pers- from my personal perspective, uh, changed my life and is uh, going to change the life of uh, quite a few other people. Uh, we're going to talk about probably in the last segment of this show. Uh, for some out there, they believe the combine really is not that important. Uh, I would disagree with that. Uh, the numbers speak a little bit differently. Uh, but for now, uh, let's get back to Kirk. Uh, Kirk, I just would say this. Uh, you know, I, I stopped you in the middle of your sentence, and I apologize for that. Uh, we had to take a break. But I also wanted to stop you because, uh, I, you know, Guy always talks to me about getting reps in. And certainly one thing that, one thing that I believe happens is uh, once that you are able to repeat something, uh, either in action or uh, mentally, that you, it certainly stays with you. And, and you're able to just, um, you know, 
that elevator pitch, it, it's right there. It's always ready, you know, or if somebody, you know, and when the rappers, you know, somebody say, okay, hey, spit up, you know, spit a rhyme, you know, do whatever you got to do on the spot. And, uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, in the combine, you, you go there, you don't necessarily know what you're going to have to do, but they ask you to do it and you're able to perform it. Uh, I just heard some very, very interesting information that you were able to share with us. And it made me think that this is something that not necessarily that you, uh, you have, uh, practiced, um, you know, for this interview, so to speak, uh, or certainly for being making this guest appearance on the show with me. Uh, but it made me think that perhaps maybe this is some material from from your book that I happen to be privileged of knowing that you're writing. So why don't you do this, if you will, share with us if indeed some of the information that you just shared with us early on the show is is from uh, your upcoming book. And, and But if it's not... Uh, then certainly let us know that, but also just share with us a little bit about the book you're writing and, and what really inspired you to write uh, this book. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I, working um, uh, earnestly on completing a, a book right now I'm excited about. Uh, you know, we've taught, you and I both have talked a bit earlier about age. You know, you wake up one day and, and you're middle-aged, and yet you don't feel that way, and, uh, and you have uh, kids and you're talking to them, and all of a sudden your advice, which is really relevant for them, it seems to be irrelevant because we're old, right? And, um, <laughs> right. Um, and so, you know, the book is really, um, uh, in a sense, about that. It's, it's, um, it's 50 years of my life journey, my experiences. Um, and, uh, but, but the focus of it is, as a white man, uh, going to school with blacks, working with blacks, living living with blacks, not for a weekend or uh, a month, but for years, uh, including um, four amazing years at HU, uh, how did that change me? And um, the book's uh, purpose is really to recognize and thank some incredible and talented friends and colleagues that I have um, that were there for me, uh, not only when I was up, but when I was down. Um, and uh, and, and uh, because there is so much negative press um, you don't have to, uh, in the Internet, on, uh, on cable news, about uh, blacks and black behavior. Um, I just felt that when I hear that, most of that, I wonder who they're talking about because my life has been almost a 180-degree flip of that. Um, I don't see what I'm hearing uh, on the news. And um, so I'm not speaking for all white people. I'm not even speaking for other folks in my family who may feel differently. I'm speaking for me. But I have something to say relative to to an amazing 50-year journey I've had, Ray, at Ohio State. And then at some of the most world-recognized brands, Lululemon Athletica, Reebok, the National Football League, Kraft Nabisco, Howard University, Ohio State, uh, etc. So, um, and some of the uh, stories that I share, I'm somewhat embarrassed uh, to share them because they're so basic. Uh, I have one chapter that's called uh, 50 Years a Racist um, because uh, my first recollection of being taught or told uh, something that I would label as bigoted or racist now was when I was six years old. So I I kind of say I'm a recovering, like an alcoholic, a recovering racist in the sense that there was at least six years of my life that I wasn't because I didn't know what that meant or what that would feel like or look like. But at six, I specifically remember being told by my family, uh, they have their kind, we have our kind, and don't bring one home. And I remember in my heart 
that didn't sound right. Mm. But I had no nothing to test it against. And that's where my journey starts. And then if you can imagine where it ends, me working um, uh, clearly as a minority at Howard University, the first HBCU on the Hill, uh, extraordinary folks, talented colleagues, uh, working on some amazing strategic projects. Uh, but every day walking that campus and um, feeling safe, never feeling distraught, uh, being challenged, um, and it being a very different experience as the only white man at a table working with colleagues running at a prestigious university uh, versus the first 20 years of my corporate career where it was predominantly white, if not all white, wherever I was. So the book, for those who would be interested in you know, my stories, would, it just simply is that. But it's me having a conversation with myself, Ray, where where I'm still harboring or thinking of those um, limiting thoughts about black folks growing up that I was either taught or assimilated or had limited experiences growing up. But then as I became much more experienced and entrenched, um, spending more time with uh, blacks as I got older, how I changed. And so it's really that, it's, it's a book about that transformation for me. And I think the You'd mentioned Martin Luther King earlier. He had a quote which really kind of sums up the theme of the book. He said, um, "We and this is this is Martin Luther King talking in 1967. So see how relevant this is today." He said, um, "We don't we don't trust each other because we don't know each other. We don't know each other because we don't communicate. We don't communicate because we're separated." And so that is a quote that inspired me to say first half of my life, I was separated like most white folks, and that's why I thought the way I thought. The second half of my life, and sometimes whether I liked it or not, I worked with, I lived with black folks, but I'm a better human being because of it. I mean, I'm a, I feel so blessed. So that's that's the book. So there, there's a bit of that career conversation we were having as it relates to, you know, finding your path, finding your journey. Um, because I've always kind of been on that. But, but the tenor of the book is really to lift up um, innocence. Um, it's just one white guy's opinion, Black Lives Matter. You know, I know that's a movement. I know it gets critiqued. And, but the fact of the matter is we shouldn't have to say that. But we do have to say it because we've got some freaking problems <laughs> still. Mm. Well, Kirk, I, I certainly appreciate uh, you sharing that with uh, with with me and and, w- and with the audience. And, and uh, for the audience out there, in case you don't know, uh, Kirk and I do speak on the phone quite often. And I have to bite my tongue, and he's probably bit his tongue off because I talk so much when I get him on the phone because I have so much to say to him. Uh, but but I'm privileged to. Uh, to know this man and to know that this story that he uh, just shared with you is his life. And he believes in that. I, I've known this man um, for over, you know, 25, almost 30 years, or probably more than that, you know. Uh, we've known each other, and uh, it's, it's just a real blessing to uh, have somebody who, who represents uh, himself and, uh, and, and to stay, stand and say that he may not represent all of his family, but he represents himself and he's willing to, as, as, uh, my good dear friend, of which he doesn't know he's my good dear friend, but my good dear friend Will Smith said in the movie, uh, tell the truth. 
and Kirk is willing to tell the truth from his own experience. And, and there's a lot of times that people in life aren't necessarily willing to respect uh, the words from an individual who's never walked in those shoes. And this is a man, and I don't know how much uh, many people, um, how much they understand the fact that Anytime, I don't care if you're the white man sitting amongst black people or you're the black, black man sitting amongst white people. When you are the only one in the room, you have to realize that, that you're the only one in the room. And, and, there, and, and it makes you think about some things. That you're, If nothing else, it just makes you realize you're the only one in the room. And Kirk, I don't know how many people other than you have consistently sit in the room as the only, as you said, white man in the room, particularly at Howard University. And, uh, you know, to me, that's a great experience to have and to share with people. Well, this is, I'll give you just one real quick specific example. Yeah, we got two minutes before we take another break, but, you know, make sure you get it out because I want people to hear this, Kirk. Cool. I, I took my daughter when she was eight to Howard to see where Dad works. We got off at the U Street Metro. We she started squeezing my arm on U Street. She was scared. I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, and she started pointing. She couldn't speak. She was choked. She said, look at all those black folk. And I said, well, so what? What? what what's the problem? She said, they're going to rob us. Now, that's because I'm divorced. They live in a rural white area, you know, in the middle of the country. But that was her social socialization up to that point. She just hadn't met very many black folk, but what she'd heard on the news. So that was her reaction. When we come back, I have to tell you a funny story of a friend of ours, Al Washington, who played at Ohio State, about his son at eight years old who had literally the exact same experience. But the only difference is he said, Dad, I'm afraid of black people. And his dad said, Son, you're black. <laughs> that's a good one. That, that, that's a real good one. And you will, never, you will never believe this, Kurt. As God would have it, my cell phone just rang. Yeah. And it was Alvin Washington. And I did not, yeah. of course, I could not answer it. I will have to send him a text to let him know that uh, I'm on the air with you. But, uh, yeah. Kirk, thanks for sharing that information uh, with our audience out there. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. Uh, we may talk a little bit about the combine, but we may not come back and you'll find out. You're listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. My good friend Kirk Dixon from The Ohio State University. And, and the world also in terms of the things that he's done and the company he's worked with uh, will be right back with us as well. we'll be- Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. So Andy Serling packed his bags, left the city, and is enjoying his temporary digs in Saratoga. But that won't stop us from bringing you Playing to Win, the best online handicapping show for serious horse players. Catch Andy and his great lineup of guests every week throughout the month of August on location from the beautiful Saratoga Racecourse. He and his guests are some of the best in the biz. They bring you new insights to making money, and they tell it like it is. I'm 3-5-1 in this race, but the 3 is very much the one to beat. We're going to completely disagree on this race. I absolutely disagree. Spicer, especially at one to two. And it's anything but the same old horse racing show. This is a nine horse field, but really there are seven donkeys and two zebras. Playing to win with Andy Serling, a show seriously committed to making more money at the game, but with a personality. This is a dunce cap horse for me. If this horse wins next week, I got the dunce cap on. YouBet.com's Playing to Win, presented by the Daily Racing Forum. Look for it the day before big race days, mostly Fridays. Find a complete schedule in the Daily Racing Forum or click on Playing to Win at YouBet.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, 
Let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. All right, you hear the music, you know the show. You're listening to Rayola Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix, living like it matters. Now, I've got a problem here. And what matters to me, first of all, is the combine. Let me say that first. The combine matters to me. It is the ultimate opportunity to participate in what we call the career fair uh, with the National Football League. It's the ultimate. There's none like it. Never will be anything like it. It's an honor to be invited. Now, I want to talk about it a little bit more in detail. I may not get a chance to because we got a great conversation. And they say if it is working, don't fix it. So we're going to continue with the conversation with my good friend, fellow Ohio State University, the Ohio State University Buckeyes, uh, Kirk Dixon. And uh, Kirk, listen, we, we, were, <laughs> we were having great conversation uh, prior to us taking that commercial break. And, and you shared the experience about yourself. And, and then, uh, of course, our good dear friend, Alvin Washington, who I said, uh, you know, he uh, called me at the same time that we brought his name was brought in, into the conversation. It has nothing but Jesus, as far as I'm concerned. But I, I'm, I'm also going to say this: I got a couple other friends that are uh, Sid. Sid is out there calling me. Alvin's out there calling me. Brian and all those guys out there calling me. You know that I do my show at this time every Tuesday. So why in the hell are you not listening to my show and calling me on the phone? So start listening to the shows, guys, and, uh, and stop calling me. But but Kirk, let me let me just get back to because this is again this, this is going to be my Black History show uh, yep. because you know we just we just opened up Pandora's box on some things. But uh, let's let's talk about uh, the National Football League, and it, it appears now that the National Football League and, and the Rooney Rule has decided that they're going to expand the Rooney Rule and, and they're going to allow for uh, some more women. Uh, to come into uh, the business. I am an advocate for fairness, for everybody to participate uh, at every level. Um, Coaches, uh, they've got a female coach that just uh, got hired. I I, I would just want to hear some, I just want to hear somebody else's perspective uh, as it relates to uh, the expansion of the Rooney rules and uh, the fact that will will this hinder more black men getting jobs in a field that is dominated by men, and particularly, obviously, it's, it's white men. Or is this going to be? Uh, is is the playing field going to be somewhat leveled? And and yes, uh, a much needed opportunity for women to get involved in the sport uh, at ex- at the executive uh, level uh, is going to be successful, and, and is is it's going to be fair. Well, what do you think about that? Because that's a challenge that Roger has that he has to meet because. It, they measure and they report every year. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that uh, as it relates to gender, as it relates to race, religion, um, uh, religious creed, I mean, um, the, 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 I think we're just trying to sharpen the saw and get better at it and everything, right? And there certainly are certain professions, certain industries, like the military, that have been skewed one way. 
and um, I think that is I think that the the biggest concern folks have is is are certain expectations or standards you know going to be low lowered to accommodate a particular goal or purpose to uh, allow more women to come in as long as those standards and expectations are uh, remain firm and those who can live up to them uh, get the same opportunity of others so it's based off of job ability and job performance I I really don't have a problem with it I mean I every time I turn around I got to listen I got two daughters and I really believe my youngest, even though she's she's taller than her dad, she's a freshman in high school, and even though she's going to be an amazing uh, volleyball player in the future, I wish she'd go out for the men's football team and kick footballs. You ought to see the leg on her when I practice with her in the backyard. <laughs> that, now, that's something that could happen. I mean, you when you think about... You know, how far will this go? I will, I, I'm going to stand up and I'm just going to say I am not one. I am not. If a man hit my daughter on the football field, I'm going to come out them stands. And I'm telling you, <laughs> it's going to be uh, repercussions, consequences and repercussions. If you hit my daughter, I'm coming out on that field. So I'm not necessarily one who would want to see women on the football field. The only thing I would think about is I would say kicking that position of kicking, particularly a field goal kicker, because there's really no contact. And even if they do block the punt, the majority of times, the field goal kicker is not going to make the tackle. Sure. Uh, but every now and then, kick the kickoff. I've seen some kickers make some serious hits. And, yep. and again, I don't know if I, I want my dad, but I certainly could appreciate yep. uh, where you're going with that. But let, let me just say this. Uh, in terms of executive positions in the front office, uh, mm-hmm. let's talk about a president because I think there's a, a, a young lady, I just can't remember her name, uh, who was the former um, executive for the uh, Raiders. Uh, uh, she was, she's been uh, quite outspoken about the fact that she's uh, – Happy, but she's a little frustrated in the fact that uh, there haven't been more women in those positions uh, in those offices. Um, I, I remember even something now uh, of which uh, that's in the news now uh, that I was a part of when I was uh, a young man uh, in the locker rooms of, uh, of sports with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, and they allow women into the locker room uh, that were a part of the media. And, and that was somewhat of an uncomfortable feeling uh, as well for, for men and for, I'm sure, for the women as well. Um, right. let's, let's talk about that a little bit. What do, what do you sure. feel about that when you, let, let's say women, because Peyton is going, and I say that, and I don't really want to rehash anything, but, I, you know, it, it was a, a female that was in the locker room. She, it was, she was a, a trainer, I believe, at the University of Tennessee, uh, so it wasn't necessarily she was media, but these things happen sometimes. Is, is that a reason to keep women uh, out of the profession, or is that something, hey, get over it. You, you got a father, you got a brother, you got a dad, you know, uh, yeah. you got a husband. It's not yeah. like you've never seen one before. That's right. Yeah, I, I think it's a matter of managing it. You know, I don't. You know, um, and I'm. I, you know, I come from the rule of common sense. So, um, uh, I I just know that in my life I've seen such a change that I'm more impressed than concerned with women moving into higher any position. I mean, any position. Um, so. Uh, uh, and and even I can I can remember speaking of you know your profession Ray in, in media and communications when the first women showed up on the sideline for ESPN um, it seemed forced and uh, um, you know and there was only one or two and 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 I know that when I would be watching games some of the comments that would be from the guys watching the games it was a bit annoyed and you know it seemed forced etc but today. I don't hear those comments anymore. You know, there are more women on the sidelines. I think they're doing an excellent job. There are analysts that are in the studio. They're doing an excellent job. 
many of the many of the women that, that, that I know or see actually know more, study more, are students of the game and the business, and know more than the, some of the guy. I mean, so again, I come back to what's the expectation for the job and the role, and and uh, it, it you know uh, uh, unless there is a job requirement that would 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 dictate that uh, a man is required over a woman. I, I, I really feel that the playing field has to be leveled, right? That's my, that's my opinion. Well, Kirk, I appreciate that. And I also uh, want to take the time to tell you that I appreciate you stopping by the show and uh, sharing so much with me today. Uh, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's come to an end, and we're going to have to end the show. But uh, just in closing, as I said, this is going to be, uh, I guess, my last show in uh, the month of February, Black History Month. I want to take time out to, 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 to thank a couple men that were part of my life uh, from The Ohio State University who are part of uh, Black History. And that was uh, Mr. Delaney, uh, who's no longer with us. And, of course, uh, my good fraternity brother, uh, Billy Hill. Mr. Delaney was an assistant athletic director, one of the first African-Americans ever, certainly in the Big Ten, probably in Division One schools at that level. Uh, Billy Hill was the first black trainer at The Ohio State mm. uh, University and one of my fraternity brothers. And uh, God rest both of their souls. So thank you, my, my brother from yeah. another mother. Uh, that's uh, Mr. Kirk Dixon for joining the show. Uh, but... As I said, it's that time. So we're going to have to go, Kirk. More quote. Uh, you got it real quick. Dr. King, he said, uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. God bless you. Rest in peace, Dr. King. You've been listening to Rail of Sports on the Voice America Network. I'm in Phoenix living like it matters, and I'll see you next time, which will be the best time. <laughs> Thank you for spending this hour with Ray Ellis Sports. We hope that you've enjoyed today's conversation. For more information and to write Ray, visit RayEllisSports.com. That's RayEllisSports.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Sports Channel.